Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. My name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 320 of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's a bright Thursday evening. I'm back in my gaff after last week's excursion to the studio and that can only mean one thing. There's a handsome man from Leakslip staring at me through the Zoom screen. He's back after a week off. He looks 10 years younger. It's oh, Craig thank Fitzpatrick, you. everybody. Thank you. That was a very nice lead in. Um, much better than the usual stuff. I, I guess I've been missed. Um, I've actually changed. No, no need for that. <laughs> I think I always I've, give you a... I've just started using um, a new cleanser and a new moisturizer this past week. So um, it's good to hear it's paying off. Listen, man, moisturize twice a day. That's my motto. Has been for quite <laughs> some time. That was essentially my week off as well. I, you really talked up my... Um, Mysterious Island or whatever, and uh, mm-hmm. turned out I was the Mysterious Island. So I was just roaming leaks up, <laughs> but it was nice roaming. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, that sounds sinister. like I should be on some register. No, I was just yeah. in my abode. Um, that okay. also sounds quite bad. Let's get on it with does. the show. Let's get on with the show. It's a music podcast, and we're going to talk about music things in this episode. Uh, we've been talking about the new album from um, Unsung Troubadours, Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're back with their twelfth studio record. It's 73 minutes long. Got a hand to them. And, They've uh, done it again. We'll, <laughs> <laughs> we talk, we'll be talking we about it. That's later in the show. It's called Unlimited Love. Um, that's our album review. But we have a very interesting top five, Craig. Uh, top five award show moments coming off the back of the Grammys, not yes, the Oscars. Yes, we're up to date. But before we get going, the world has talked it to death, but you didn't get the chance to talk about it, Craig. Will Smith, Chris Rock, anything to say on Oh, real God. Um, I felt... Will Smith was very entitled and I was um, very much against it. Violence is not the answer and I can't believe I'm talking about this two weeks on from it. Um, I enjoyed your breakdown of it last week. 
And yeah, just like mm. we'll be talking about the Grammys now in a second. And there was just so much, like even from catching clips of it, just so much slap jokes. I'm just, it was a big moment though. Yeah, it's done, isn't it? Some of the memes are still... The first couple gen- of like, days like, on just Twitter were fantastic, yeah. it must be said, yeah. Glorious, yeah. Um, but we'll move on now anyway. I'm glad you, yeah, Craig's right. Pacifism is the way. Um, and patreon.com slash noencore is the way to our hearts, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to throw us uh, the price of a pint, the price of uh, Oscar's goodie bag. No, those things are worth uh, like hundreds and thousands obscene, of dollars, yeah. I believe. Obscene, crazy. Um, patreon.com slash noencore. That's where you'll get bonus content. Uh, primarily our monthly bonus recommends corner called No Oxcord. We will be recording a new episode next weekend, I believe. That's what we've tentatively agreed to here off mic. And you get episode previews, there's playlists on there. And mostly it's just a way of keeping the lights on for the show and getting new equipment, that kind of stuff. I'm eyeing up a new mic, having been to Adam's studio last Uh-oh. week. So uh, that's what it's for. But you don't have to support us. It's entirely up to you. Uh, the only thing we would ask you to do, uh, demand rather, is just tell people about the show. You know, let your friends... As your local counsellor. Your, your mortal... Your local counsellor, your mortal enemies... Uh, no matter who it is, no matter what, 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 even people who despise music itself, tell them that there's a great music podcast by the name of No Encore, hosted by two charismatic, ebullient, and handsome men. That's us. Anyway, with that in mind, the most handsome man will hit the news sting for us right now. Hey, you heard about the good news? Wonderfully done. Thanks, man. The handsome man, of course, is a sonic architect, Adam Shanahan. I don't know if he stayed up to watch the Grammys the other night. I know that I didn't. Craig, did you? I did not, no. It it wasn't a Kanye listening party. You crazy? (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I I don't think I've seen the Grammys in donkey's ears. It's clips all the way for me now, Dave. I don't consume these award shows. By the time you get the full show on, like, Irish TV, it's a full day later. You've seen everything. It's kind of done, right? I'm really, I'm really hyping up both the the lead news story and our top five. <laughs> Just even award shows. Who cares? <laughs> well, the award shows I presume that we're going to be pulling from later on in the show will be from times past when it actually was noteworthy or a noteworthy thing sure. happened yeah. beyond that kind of time. No, uh, the award, the concept of the award show is a tricky one, and of course, I mean, like it's a continual thing. As Craig says, we consume it now through bite-sized Twitter clips as opposed to watching a television broadcast. Hence, ratings are down across the board generally, whether it's the Oscars, whether it's the Grammys. But the Grammys have always had this kind of weird red-headed stepchild thing going on in that, like, people are like, it's not... The Simpsons were saying that the Grammys were a joke in the fucking 90s. Yeah. So how can it possibly have relevance in the 2020s? Uh, any headlines that stood out this year from the show that we didn't uh, watch, Craig? I mean, the way to make it relevant is give John Baptiste album of the year. Um, he is the band leader for Stephen Colbert's Late Night Show, and that's the only thing I know about him, really. He did the score for Soul, Pixar's Soul, with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, and they won the Oscar together for it, so I can weigh in with that. And, and he seems like a very knowledge. nice man. Seems like um, a cool guy, that's yeah, true. Yeah, his speech was um, very humble. And humbling, and um, I actually stuck on the album that won on like the Monday. I was like, I'll give this a go because I, I don't think I'm gonna like it, but I'll give it a go. And you know what? It was actually good. Wow! It was it was very close to like put that in the two, next press two release. Things were, yeah, actually good. Craig Fitzpatrick. Two things were going against it. I, I initially thought this is going to be very, you know, my my much hated um, Jules Holland kind of smooth jazz kind Oogie of woogie. slash. Soul vibes, yeah. I was like, is it going to be this? Like, he comes from a big New Orleans, like, family lineage of that kind of music. And I just feel like he's going to be, he's going to be too, like, institutionalized almost. Do you know what I mean? Um, It is a bit safe, but it's nice. 
And the other thing going against it was the fact that I can't actually stand him on Colbert. Have you ever seen him on Colbert? No, I don't watch American talk shows. Not since Craig oh. Ferguson retired, am I right? He was the best. And Conan. I always loved Conan. Conan's now retired as well, I think. Um, Colbert is still... Colbert thinks he's Johnny Carson whenever you catch clips. Like, he's full suit, doing the old kind of, like, suave jokes and, like, then pointing at, like, John Batiste who, like, tinkles the ivories and is like, oh, good one, Steve. And it's just awful. It's just awful. So Sweet gig, though, isn't it, for, like, John Batiste, Questlove, yeah. et cetera? Like, I mean, you just, like, you end up in this kind of... I, you know, like very steady gig that gets you exposure. You probably don't have to do a lot and you can just do whatever you want on the side, including like, you know, totally. it's been, Grammys. Yeah. It's been great for the roots. I, but it double-edged sword because, of course, Twitter was awash with like, he's an industry plant. <laughs> <laughs> because apparently it was broadcast, um, the Grammys was broadcast on CBS this year, which is, of course, the home station of the Colbert Show. So, yeah, industry plant. But now it seemed like, listen, I don't know if the albums that were up were... There was no real masterpieces there. I think Billie Eilish missed out. Donda didn't win. I mean, that's a hugely flawed album. I probably would have gone for it just because I love some of the stuff on it. But it wasn't one of those ones where it's like it's an absolutely tra- like tragic thing that something missed out. Um, so, yeah, happy for John Batiste. Um, Olivia Rodrigo was the other major winner along with Silk Sonic. Um, I think both got about four awards each. Silk Sonic were great in clips. Have you seen them? Uh, they this went is Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack. Anderson Pack, and they've gone fully into the character, the seventies vibe, the lover men in kind of cool suits, and um, yeah, it seemed like it seemed like they were portraying the role of like seventy stars who might have back in the day been fully coked up quite well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> in an utterly charming way, they're How great actors. Did they go? <laughs> do we know? Is it, do we do we have any kind of hard say. evidence here? I can't say, but they were very very funny. Um, and yeah, I mean. There was that moment as like, well, the Oscars didn't have it, but a lot of things seem to have at this moment in time where um, the uh, Ukrainian president Zelensky will appear on camera and he gave another kind of great emotional, heartfelt address where he looked, of course, like ravaged by his experience in the past couple of months. Yeah, of course. Um, But then you have, it's just such a weird thing because it's obviously a great platform for him. It's getting the word out. Social media has been tremendous in terms of getting supplies for and support you for Ukraine. But then you have that transitioning into John Legend, you know, <laughs> performing. Now, in fairness, he was performing with um, some Ukrainian musicians, but it's just like you're back into the very stage-managed, like, smooth Grammys thing, and you're just like... It's like Zelensky becomes a kind of pop star who's, like, in, in his own little content segment, and it's like, this is very strange. Do you know what I mean? But it's I just guess, it's like, where we're it's, at. Maybe it's the one award show you could just about get away with it in the music world, where it's like, imagine that happening at, like, say... The Enemy Awards. Yeah, or, like, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the MTV VMAs or something. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, like, it's, like, fucking... I'm trying yeah. to think of like, up next, Gwen Stefani! You know, it's just like, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it has some gravitas, maybe. Um yeah. Okay. That's the Grammys, everybody. What it's a night. Grammys. Yeah. Galaxy of Stars. Um, what else? I mean, Lady Gaga proving again she's very nice to older stars. Seemed to be a, a theme that's kind of forming. Um, she won with Tony Bennett for, I think, best traditional and pop. They've done another album together and he's well into his 90s. And Did she's just... anybody get physically assaulted on stage? No one. Not a one person, unfortunately. Let me just scan through my notes. Nah, maybe next year, Dave. Maybe next year. Um, so what else you got? Craig did the news section this week, everybody. So I'm going to just throw it to him. 
Yeah, I'm trying to remember like Tuesday evening when I was actually putting this together and half reading it. I one put one story was... in. Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran uh, prevailed. His court case went well. A spoiler uh, for that. As we as we thought it would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. let's get to it straight away. Um, because, I mean, just looking at how it, it, it played out, um, the judge, Mr. Justice Zaccaroli, uh, concluded on Wednesday that Sheeran neither deliberately or subconsciously copied a phrase from this song, Oh Why. It was literally a bar. And I think we mentioned this before, but it was it was uh, like Oh Why and Oh I, which was from the Sammy Chokri and Ross O'Donoghue song. And it's just like, I don't know. The judgment said it was only a starting point for a copyright infringement claim. There was significant differences between the phrases and the songs, which were, we've talked through all of this, but um, yeah, Ed Sheeran got kind of, passionate and emotional at the end of it. And he did, yeah, he did. He put up a video on Instagram. Yeah, and um, I kind of support, I mean, I hate to say it, really sticks in the craw, Dave, but I agree with everything he says. He says, claims like this are way too common now and have become a culture where a claim is made with the idea that a settlement will be cheaper than taking it to court, even if there's no basis for the claim. It's really damaging to songwriting industry. We're kind of hinting at that as it developed. Like, it just seemed like maybe a bit opportunistic. Um, we don't know what was going on in you know, those guys' heads, but seemed that way. He went on to say there's only so many notes and very few chords used in pop music and coincidences are bound to happen if 60,000 songs are being released today on Spotify. 22 million songs a year. There's only 12 notes that are available. And yeah, the maths, you know, they add up. And um, <laughs> he kind of went on to say that, like, it, kinda, it wasn't a pleasant experience. He's a human being. And um, it seemed to take a lot out of him. Like, he seems drained from this whole thing. And he's about to go on tour. Like, he's got Irish dates coming up quite imminently, right? Yeah, I'm thinking um, about selling my ticket because I don't know if he's going to give us four. <laughs> but you promised me we'd go. You said, you said it'd be a no-encore night out like no other. And I said, okay, Craig, snap those tickets up. Because okay, people we'll are going to love them. We'll go to one night, all right? <sighs> Just one? But, like, he's got Just so many one. songs, so many tunes. Um, I felt sorry for him, which I found myself feeling like, is this weird? Um, because it is Ed Sheeran and he invites Scorn for some reason. He's probably not and the worst guy he, And he's time. doing fine. He's doing fine. Well. Oh, he's yeah. doing, like, he's, like, this guy will never have to worry about, you know, the cost of living. You know, he's fine. But, he's like, got his own crypt. Johnny, on the grounds of his giant estate. Johnny, Mc, you're obsessed with the crypt. Johnny McDade mm. also said, like, this is taking a huge toll on our mental health. And, like, you know, fine, you might say it's a bit boohoo, but I thought Sheeran had a good line when he said, like, lawsuits take it out of you, basically. He was like, they're not, <laughs> I think he said they're not pleasant. And it's like, no, I can't imagine that they are. Um, there is funny stuff to this. Like, you know, there's a there was a court report talking about how, like, um, to give examples of, you know, pentatonic scales and, like, the similarities between melodies and oh yeah sheeran like sang in court a couple of times but like the report said like sheeran frequently burst into song during the court and, like, like he was like some like kind of madman yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like no it's, it was relevant and you know but I, I just thought what a sweet gig it must have been to been on that jury that would have been a great month wouldn't it i'm watching ed sheeran in the dock this is fucking unbelievable but Being seriously tremendous. i do think, think of the article you get out of that dave oh my god the picture this thing would have nothing in comparison um what I, I do think, though, honestly, it was like, he's got a point, you know, it's like plagiarism and stuff, you know. His point was that in a lot of cases, some people are of the mind that a settlement will just make it go away, it's easier than going to court, which costs more money and takes it out immensely, etc. So, like, he thinks that there there are some opportunities, like, he didn't specifically say that these guys were, but he basically was saying that there's opportunists out there, etc. So, like, you know, in some cases, people will be just like, fuck it, throw some money at it, make it go away, I'm going to get on with my life. He chose to fight it, he chose to clear his name, he did that. 
I do think from what I listened to in the songs that, yeah, this was the only outcome I envisioned. And, you know, he's a multimillionaire or whatever, but he's got a point. Um, at the same time, though, just to throw him back under the bus, I did happen to stumble on YouTube the other day uh, when I was looking for award show moments. And I somehow, this passed me by somehow, I guess because no one watches it, but like the Brit Awards were two months ago. He performed Bad Habits with Bring Me the Horizon. And it is what? stunningly bad. I mean, outrageous. Not good. I feel like the Brits loves an old kind of strange collab. And Maybe. Just, it's got to the point where every permutation has been done. They're but just bland. Like, like, again, the most wholesome, Maybe not the most wholesome because you will see bad stuff on there, but I think it's gone, I think it's gone more wholesome over the years. Uh, the comment section of the internet, YouTube, like the comments are so funny. They were like, alternative music needed this. We need more, we need more collabs of this nature. And I'm like, nah. And like, Bring Me the Horizon are a band that, that somehow escaped my radar with the exception of like a couple of songs, mainly because when I used to go see OTT in the Tivoli, like Pete Dunn would come out to, um, Can You Feel My Heart? And I was like, well, that's a fucking banger. <laughs> but, but they're not a band I really dig too Can much. Can You Feel My Heart? Can You Feel My Heart? So great. <laughs> so emo. Song. Uh, Adam, give us a bit of Can You Feel My Heart by Bring Me The Horizon there. Cheers, man. <laughs> Even just the intro. Yeah, if you had caught me like three months after buying Hybrid Theory as a teenager, I would have been all over this. It was a very short window. (laughs) They got a song called Sleepwalking, also pretty good. They did one with Grimes as well. Um, But this year in collaboration, I encourage everyone to go watch it on on YouTube because it completely doesn't work. And everyone's like, this is genius. It's like, no, it isn't. Um, But yeah, fair play to Ed Sheeran. Good for him. I actually had a weird moment where I was like, should I go see him live? And then I was like, nah. No. No. Is he still doing his one man thing where it's just like him and a loop pedal? Still at this so, point. Yeah. To my knowledge, apart That's from. incredible. Unless he's bringing out Bring Me the Horizon. I mean, I don't think um, he tends to just go it alone. I'm sure I there's suppose, like. Yeah, like we've reviewed Scott for our sins how many of his albums at this point. And yeah, they haven't really expanded in a way that he couldn't just keep looping stuff and using various kind of. Yeah, I was Tracks. talking to. Yeah, I sent a I sent the Bring Me the Horizon thing to a, a friend of mine uh, who is. Uh, I knew he wouldn't be a fan, but he was just like, he was like, he's like, he's like, oh man, he goes, he goes, maybe I'm being harsh. He goes, but Ed Sheeran to me is just a busker who got lucky, and I was like, yeah, that's probably fair. While also, being, I mean, Ed Sheeran would probably say that himself, in fairness. <laughs> right, what else you got? Couch this surfer. Well, one man who's been worrying about um, copyright stuff since the sixties, Dave is Paul McCartney. All right. Um, you know, famous, famously, he woke up with the melody to yesterday. Um, like, he just dreamt it up. It was originally, what was it? Strawberry Jam or something like that. And he thought it was like another song. It had already been written. So he went around singing it to everyone, being like, what song is this? And then after months, he was like, okay, I must have written it. So I'll just put it out. That, of course, is very much a second tier um, Paul McCartney song. Top tier is a bracket of one, and that one is Maxwell Silverhammer. Bang, bang. <laughs> bang, bang, indeed. 
It's up for sale. It's going under the hammer. Um, Paul McCartney's oh, 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 hammer. Yes. 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 Didn't even yes. have it in the notes. Yes. I'm back, baby. Oh, yeah, we, we fucking did, we did it. it. Roll credits. Who do you think down. you are? I am. <laughs> Unbelievable. The original handwritten lyrics um, are going for the price of $425,000. Um, so this is... your birthday in four months. This is, of course, <laughs> your favourite Beatles song. We've established this at, th- at this point, right? Uh, uh, you no have co- been no mildly contest. obsessed with it. Was that? Um, it? That would imply that I listen to it quite often. I think I just make jokes about it. Hate to pull back the curtain, there, folks. But uh, it is—it's objectively a terrible song that I kind of enjoy. Um, when you say the lyrics are up for sale, I mean, are they housed in some kind of treasure chest, or like how, how have they been preserved? What are they written on? I guess paper. I guess it's pen and paper. Papyrus. Dave. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, my my research for, for this might have been watching the Get Back thing where Paul McCartney was indeed using a pen and paper to write lyrics down um, around this time, late 1968. So I can only assume he would have used the same process, the same tools, the same materials um, for Maxwell Silver, Silver Hammer, which um, if people don't know, is quite an odd song, a jaunty tune that the rest of the band absolutely despised. About every a murderer of, of women. Yeah, he kills people with a hammer. Women um, specifically, I believe. Yeah, he's a misogynist as well. And um, yeah, just the jauntiness of the tune. It's one of those classic happy tunes, sad lyrics, isn't it? But it just doesn't quite work. Um, I've got a soft spot for it myself now, I have to say, because of the clips of them doing it where they um, enlist Mal Evans, the the poor kind of lackey of the group. Not really a lackey. He was a, started out as a bouncer, became a kind of friend of the band and was just kind of a Mr. Fixer for them but he also kind of weirdly contributed like um, songwriting tips to Paul McCartney just some great moments where he's like suggesting alternate lines and Paul McCartney's like oh yeah I think that works in like the long and winding road and it's like listening to this guy which is great but he plays like the actual hammer on Maxwell Simmer Hammer and there's amazing clips where he's just like the rest of the band are jaded and worn out and Mal Evans is there with the hammer, waiting for his moment. And then when it comes in and he does the bang, bang, the smile on the man's face <laughs> as he's included in the Beatles session is glorious. Do we think that um, my beloved uh, clown from Slipknot was inspired by this process? Maybe. <sighs> Possibly. Yeah. I should have asked yeah. him. I interviewed him before. Fuck, I never, oh, had I known, dude. had I, Still had have I had his, the, yeah. I don't deeds. have his, can you get in touch with his people? Uh, I probably can, yeah. I still have the, the publicist details. So Sort that out. Two of the bands so far. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll have to make this my mission. Um, okay. What, what, what do you think of this price? $425,000 $425, for, for the lyrics I mean, to Maxwell Silverhammer. It's already sold previously to a bookstore owner for 192000 Inflation is a bitch. Um, my thought process on this very briefly when I scanned the news section yesterday was that Things will always exist for people who have immense wealth to spend their immense wealth on. And in that regard, it's, you know, as the average consumer, we're sadly priced out of this. But, (laughs) I mean, whatever, you know, if if there's someone out there who owns a fucking diamond mine or something and wants to just put this in in, in their hallway, who am I to stop them, Craig? Yeah, I mean, it's better than an NFT, isn't it? Yes, it is. At least it exists. Oh, Craig, going after the NFT crowd, everybody. One thing I did like about this story is um, just to kind of compound the fact that it's not a great song. So Paul McCartney hasn't sang it um, live since the actual Abbey Road sessions back in 1969. 
Although he did deliver a spoken word rendition at New York City 92nd Street Y in 2001. Imagine how chilling a spoken word reading of this <laughs> deranged song about some weirdo with a hammer was. Um, yeah, I didn't check if it's on YouTube. I assume it is because everything is, Dave. I think we should get like noted spoken word people to do this, like Damien Dempsey or something. Wouldn't that be good? That'd be good, yeah. Bang, bang. Yeah, he could do it. <laughs> Okay, um, something about uh, nightclubs staying open till 6am, you say, Craig? Yeah, I mean, people might know this already. I'm sure they will. It's been all over Twitter. So there's details of a new bill set to be published in the coming weeks from uh, the Minister for Justice, basically allowing for later opening hours for pubs and nightclubs in Ireland. Should be in effect by the end of the year. It's looking like, yeah, 6am. Um and a report from the Nighttime Economy Task Force has also recommended additional 24-hour bus routes in Dublin um, and improvements to bus services in other cities, which would be great, but i say there's a fat chance of that. Um, the Give Us the Night campaign took to Twitter to urge caution until an official government announcement is made before celebrating. Don't They're pop hopeful. those... Uh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't pop those pills just yet, kids. Uh, I saw Craig take Hughes... Take half, take half now and take then wait for the government <laughs> announcement. <laughs> you want to be coming up right as Helen McEntee steps up to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Are Craig... you on board with this? Oh, no, sorry, I'm not. Ahead. I'm absolutely not. I saw Craig Hughes of the Daily Mail broke this story during the week. Fair play to him. Um, big one. Big scoop. People waiting for this for a long time. I mean, I'm not up for it because I'm a tired old man. And I was a tired old man when I was like 21. So like, it's not for me. But with the idea, like, so Mick Pope, a uh, friend of the show. Yeah, I the, saw Mick. He was... Um... <laughs> the Galaxy Supreme, who DJs in Whelan's uh, till yeah. like three or four in the morning at the weekend. That's as far as he goes, folks. <laughs> It's one of his non-negotiables to quote Craig from a few weeks ago. Uh, He said, no fucking way am I DJing until 6am. Can you imagine the clientele at 10 to 6 in the morning on the dance floor of Whelan's? No thanks, mate. Zombies galore. And like, listen, there are people who have been campaigning for this for years. Sunil Sharp, uh, Orkit, lots of others. Give us my campaign, as you mentioned. Nile 9, of course, you know, like continually uh, banging this drum on the Nile 9 podcast, on his website and elsewhere. Uh, there is a market for this. There is uh, an audience for this. There is a culture and a community for this. So uh, who am I to say, fuck this? When I say fuck this, it's like, you know what I like? Not I like going you. for a couple of pints and then going home and watching a film. You know, it's just like, I, yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't, Craig, I couldn't do it. Like, I, I, my one and only experience in fucking coppers was after college when I handed in my thesis. And I ended, I was like, I'll go for one pint in the student bar. I had no money. Went for one pint in the student bar, ended up at a house party, ended up in coppers. Someone paid in for me. I sobered up while I was there. I couldn't even put my bag in the cloakroom. And at one stage, I was like, this is my idea of absolute hell. And I can't even get hammered to get through it. And at one stage, I was like, I went to the bathroom to just like, you sitting there for a while and I just try and like you know like hope time would pass quickly and I was like well look at least this place is going to close at about three in the morning no it doesn't it goes to four in the morning so why would you want two more hours of this and granted I'm sure there are better places out there than coppers but it's just not my thing I don't don't know about that Dave it's pretty good (laughs) I I don't have the stamina I don't have the endurance I don't have the mental capacity Um, but lots of people do and they've wanted this for years so you know the roost in Minute, Adam <laughs> is suggesting. Adam. <laughs> Security, Security to the, the dance floor. floor. <laughs> it's the ozone of Leaks Up. But yes, um, I feel like we've been in nightclubs, Dave, 
Have we not been in nightclubs been back in the, work in the day? Rooms. Yeah, I've been in the workmen still closed, but like, I mean, it, it's just like it's not. It it's not. For, it's not for me, Craig. I mean, How, so you throughout the pandemic, you haven't ever had a fleeting moment where you're like, Do you know what? I'd love to be like on a dance floor right no, now, middle of the night. Absolutely no. not. No, not a fucking chance. And it yeah. would require mind-altering drugs for me to get through it. I would think. You know. Yeah. Depends yeah. on the situation. Maybe if you find yourself carried away on an incredible night out, like like a nineteen eighties movie. Would uh, you attend? Would you attend? Like a you know, if you were in March Berlin, against this, yeah, I would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a Bergen or like one of these twenty four hour day. clubs where it's what? Just, one of these like twenty four hour like Berlin super clubs where it's like <laughs> no. just go one. <laughs> no, who do you think I am? What am I saying? <laughs> we were talking before the show about like me me spending the first weekend of my week off just being like will I go somewhere like just a city break or something just wander around somewhere and I didn't go for it because it just it was too short notice and it felt stressful I did flirt with the idea of like I'll go to Berlin I've never been to Berlin and I was like well I just wander into like one of these 24 hour nightclubs and just like see what the crack is and I was like you're insane just yeah. stop this Adam asks, Adam asks what if all they played was Nine Inch Nails I mean that's a fetish club Adam and I don't know if I'm ready for that either so I'm, I'm not even sure Trent I feel Reznor. like it might be your scene I mean maybe I just like I say like like truthfully I'm just you know I'm I, I, like I'm just enjoying my football Craig I, I just kind of um, I just don't have it I just, I, I just don't have the uh, the capacity for it you know I mean like granted no one's forcing you to, to stay until six in the morning you know party safely yeah. etc what about you? I, I feel like part of you wants... And I've been with you. I've been with you in the fucking Workman's where I'm like... We've been uh, in the trenches, yeah. And I've been like, want to go home, mate? And you're like, no, man. They're playing Interpol. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> direct quote. I do, yeah. I do sadly occasionally become that person that's like, oh, my tune is on. And like yeah. run to the dance floor. And I'm like, I'm having a miserable Very time. I'm staying in Craig's and I have to wait for him to fucking finish chatting someone up. Uh, no, I'm kidding. He's he's always been a perfectly reasonable <laughs> Nine out. Um, but yeah, no, it's just... Long time ago, folks. <laughs> but um, hey, if these 6am things come in, you never know. Yeah, I don't know. It looks no, like it is I, the like, though. Joke, yeah, jokes aside, I mean, philosophically, I think it should be a thing. Just for the culture. Yeah. You know, and people are grown-ups and you do kind of hope that it would become, you know, a... a mainland Europe thing where people just start coming and going at whatever times they choose and there's not this kind of crush at the end of the night but yeah, I that don't would probably take be... a long time to seep into Irish culture yeah, I, I would don't, imagine I don't, I, don't, I don't foresee a problem necessarily but I mean like no, it's more the staff isn't it to kind of yeah. you know to mix point just like it's already tough enough that kind of gig work and nights essentially uh, just yeah pay them more and then everything will be fine Fucking people before a profit over here. Craig Fitzpatrick refusing to applaud. But Zelensky. I do support Ukraine. No, no. Don't. <laughs> 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 do I haven't gone full Richard Boyd Barrett. Uh, do you never go full Richard Boyd Barrett? No, uh, never. Do you have any more news stories, or is it? Are you ready to talk about some funk? Yeah, I think I've I've made it clear that I haven't gone full Richard Boyd Barrett. Um, that's the one thing I wanted to come out of this new section. So I'm ready to move on to the funk, metal, pop rock stylings of the Chili Peppers, Dave. Yeah, it's time to check in with erotic pirate uh, Anthony Kiedis. Let's do it. <laughs> My great Timbers, it's the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and it's Black Summer, 
the lead single and opening track from Unlimited Love, their 12th, 12th studio album there. Uh, it's 73 minutes long. It's 17 mm-hmm. songs long, Craig. They're all too good. We couldn't get rid of any of them. Um, John Frusciante's back on board. Chili mm-hmm. Peppers fans seem very happy. Were you happy? Or do you have a primer? I mean, I think people know who they are, right? They're, um, do you they're want me to do a from, primer? Yeah, go they're... on. Fuck it. Yeah, go on. Yeah, all right. Fine. Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> The most quintessentially Californian band since the Beach Boys. Um, been going <laughs> since, I nearly said since the 40s. I think it's 40 years. Um, 1983, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't need to do a primer, of course. I guess the big news is that, you know, there's been almost constant lineup changes um, with the Peppers over the years with... Ketus and Flea, Charlotte Friends being... <laughs> the chilies, I think, is what people say. The Peppermen. I won't interrupt any further. Go on. Um, yeah, a lot of lineup changes. Um, but I guess the, the classic lineup is back together. Not the original lineup, the classic lineup. Um, most importantly, John Frusciante. It's his. It's him returning for the third time. Um, and yeah, I guess this is this has been his longest spell away from the band. We reviewed their second and final album with Josh Klinghoffer um, on this podcast. I reviewed their first one for Hot Press back in the day. So it's, it's a long while now. I think that was 2011, I'm With You, where kind of Flea took the reins, was very bass-led. They didn't quite know what to do with Josh, who's quite a different guitarist to John Frusciante. Um And then the last record was... all. I, I didn't go back to our review, but all I can remember was us listing... Um, terrible Keatus lyrics from over the years and discussing why you know the Danger Mouse production, they they kind of dropped, dropped Rick Rubin who's back on board, the lads are all back together this time, uh, they went with Danger Mouse they seemed to be trying to find a new sound and they just felt a bit redundant and out of place and out of time and it felt like where did they go from here so they go back to John Prashante and I'm gonna level with you. I'm. I'm. Uh, no, no, he liked pe- it. I'm. A, I'm a Pepper's apologist. No, just <laughs> oh, across the board. Like I think we know this about me, right? I mean, I had Californication and Blood Sugar Sex Magic back in the day. By the way, I think they get a bit of a raw deal. Do they? Is that- how do yeah. they get a raw deal though? They're like one of the most accl- acclaimed, well, like, beloved reviewers, like, whatever. Criti- are they criti- critically acclaimed? I mean, maybe they giants, were back in the day. Yeah. I think that they're kind of mostly respected. People kind of like, like, listen, uh, not to fucking hijack you here, but like, I said to someone during the week, I was like, Fred Durst needs to be given a presidential pardon for some of the outrageous <laughs> lyricism and frontmanning on display by Anthony Kiedis on this record. It's nothing new, but my God, is this the fucking. This is the apex of nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. And he's always been the apex of nonsense. That's kind of part of the charm, I think. Um, but yeah, I suppose to get, to get into and set the scene. So yeah, the prodigal son has returned, John Frusciante. He's probably the one like undeniable element of Chili Peppers, right? I think even their most ardent kind of like naysayers would say, well, he's quite good on guitar and he seemed to be the one that would like spark them into life and do a kind of, you know, whenever they have highlights, it's usually him leading the way. Um, I think that's fair to say. Can I ask he, you, do we know yeah. why he came back? Like, why did he leave? Why did he come back? I've got a quote for you if you want. They yeah. were on, they were on, I was actually, I was, <laughs> I was um, taking in a lot of Pepperman content um, 
over the, over the last few days. They've been everywhere. Though I think my favourite was um, Zane Lowe had his little sit down. This is um, the best album you've ever done, was yeah, it? B- by the beach with Anthony Kiedis, where it's just like um, <laughs> I, I said to a fellow um, Peppermint apologist, "I hate how much I'm going to enjoy this." <laughs> Hour of like utterly self-congratulatory pseudo spiritual <laughs> surfer hippie hogwash, and it was it was nonsense. And at one point, yeah, Zane Lowe does go, um, <laughs> "You've this might be your best lyrics yet." <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing Australian. He's from New Zealand, but he's like, "Yeah, you've managed to marry like your kind of stream of conscious like out there poetry with your heart on the sleeve, like universality." And like even Kiedis was like looking at him like, "What?" <laughs> And then he goes, <laughs> Anthony Kiedis is just like, yeah, Zayn Lowe's like, what, what was the trick this time? And Anthony Kiedis, of course, goes, yeah, I just didn't think too much about it. <laughs> I was kind of behind. I was always late and behind schedule with the lyrics. So I didn't have time to stop and think. It was very much first thought, best thought. <laughs> and I think that's a problem. <laughs> but we'll get to that. So yeah, just to set the scene for John Frusciante, he was talking on Howard Stern, which was another thing I watched. Um, it was an interesting hour and a half. <laughs> but he said that um, coming back, yeah, there was a certain amount of soul searching that he'd done. And to quote him fully, he says, it seemed like I changed and grown enough as a person to where I, it felt like it'd be a beautiful thing to have another chance to do it right. I felt like that when I rejoined the first time on a personal and musical level, I had some ideas about where those relationships could go. It was the same thing being this time, different lens. Um and he kind of goes on to talk about what what a hard thing it is being in a band and being so connected and trying to be in sync and it's intense all those year, years on the road and that's why he kind of went and did his electronic solo stuff. But he says, coming back, I really wanted to have that closeness and that vulnerable interaction with them again. So that was quite sweet. Um, I think they sold their publishing, uh, the four of them, and any contributions from other members um, a year or two ago for quite a lot of money. So I don't think they're back together for a cynical like cash-in moment. I think John Vachante was like, I am ready to now play rock music again. So he wanted to reconnect. He wanted vulnerable interactions. And yes, there is a lot of these vulnerable interactions, 17 of them. Was um, and, yeah, no, they, no, 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 you go. go I was going to say there's plenty more where that came from. Um, also from that interview, they revealed that this was it, was, it was tough getting it down to 17. They have about 50 songs good to go. <laughs> 50? 5-0. I think we're going to get another album at least. Great. Well, what what point were you going to make? I was going to ask just a moment for, uh, for Josh Klinghoffer. Was he just booted out unceremoniously or what was the story there? Yeah, he was on... Um, because it's Mark, kind of a situation where Mar- it's like... when it happened and he seemed quite hurt by it. You're the guy um, who replaced John Frusciante, but also you, the Chili's get a knock on, on the fucking practice room door. It's John Frusciante. Hey, guys. <laughs> there's only one outcome here, so... Of course, yeah. And also, by the way, Anthony Giedis was just... Um, so it seems like Flea and John Frusciante had been hanging out and talking about working together again, right? But Kiedis now, I think retroactively, is saying that it was incredible um, because unbeknownst to me, the guys <laughs> had been in discussions when weirdly I'd been having this like cosmic feeling that, you know what, we need to get John back in the band. And Flea came to me and was like, I've got something really important to tell you. And I was like, no, I have something really important to tell you. And I'm just like, <laughs> you did not, like, you did not like have some weird cosmic moment where you're like, yes, 
my psychic connection with Flea is kicking in. Do we? Maybe he did. I don't know. It's it's very Chili Peppers. Real quick, we've talked about the lyrics kind of briefly. Maybe we'll get into them in a few minutes. But like, like Anthony Kiedis, yay or nay? As a frontman, as a musical personality over the years, he's certainly quote unquote iconic. Uh, you could make say argument for maybe all four guys in the band. But like, what do we think of Anthony Kiedis really? I mean, I, I, I kind of have a very soft spot for him. I think what he does is utterly unique and baffling and awkward. Yeah, they couldn't be this band without him, right? I mean, totally. It doesn't, it doesn't come off a lot of the time, um, and increasingly doesn't come off. But when it did come off, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. He went from being a kind of poor rapper to being actually quite a good. Um, melodicist and, and vocalist in terms of his kind of tone and I think he's written some beautiful songs you know jo- all jokes aside over the years and he is that thing we always talk about where I think we said about U2 before where as ridiculous as Bono and the band are and they overreach and overshoot so much and they become a laughing stock because of it but because they have that like out there ambition and they don't mind being a bit of a joke, they occasionally knock it out of the park, very occasionally. And I think he has done that. But um, I think he's the weak link <laughs> on this record. Is that fair to say? Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we get into it, all 17 tracks. How did you get on with it? I did say to Craig, I sent him a voice note during the week and I said, um, I said, Craig, I want you to, as an exercise, I said, I want you, when you're listening to this album over the next few days, I want you to picture me listening to the album and what you think my reactions might be. And I think Craig said, in response, what was it you said? He said, like, um, yet another example of, oh, I can't believe it. They've they've knocked it out of the park. Knocked it out of the park. Um, (laughs) It was probably that Mourinho meme of just like pulling the headphones off in disgust quite it wasn't a lot. really I, um, I I somehow made five listens out of this you know seven. I found it very easy to consume you? it must be said yeah um I, I've, I've, I've gone back and forth in this one. I've gone from, well, this is a fucking disaster and has no redeeming features whatsoever and they should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, and I've kind of gone to, ah, I, I get it, kind of. I understand why fans are into this. And I don't mean that in a patronising way. I, I get it. I, I get why people are like, the lads, the lads, they're doing it. They're back together and they've given me 17 songs. Uh, you could cut this into fucking, like, there's so much you could lose here. There's some all-time clunkers, aquatic mouth dance. Just oh, I love that one. <laughs> what? I actually do, yeah. The lyrics are, because I think that's an example of his utterly batshit lyrics kind of working because they, they go so beyond sense that they come back around. Do you know what I mean? Um, like, there's other examples where, um, like, these are the ways is him trying to be a bit profound and talking about, like, you know, when you come to America, the sights, the sounds, the smells. I think that stuff is way worse than when he's just talking about, like, that sounds like aquatic I mean, mouth dances. These are the ways, and it's kind of musical changes where, like, it just flits in between weird. It, that sounds like it's trying to be, like, something out of fucking, like, I don't know, like, the wall or something. There's just times when I'm like, oh, lads, what are you. Look, this isn't my thing. Um, it was probably never going to be my thing. I appreciate some of the classics, you know. They do have some incredible songs. They are a unique entity and more power to them. But, yeah, I mean, I think this is nonsense. Um, and I do think it's it's draggy as fuck. Um, and I'm sure having John Frusciante back is a thrill for a lot of people. But, I mean, I can't say that he took me to another place, you know. This is just bloat. This is just like, you know, they've hit that. U2 is a perfect example where it's like, you know, they're just so etched into the Mount Rushmore of, you know, rock and roll bands from a certain time that have just managed. They can do like they can keep doing this until they die. 
people will yeah. people will still buy tickets people will still you know listen to these songs but complete completers only completionist only i would say um there's nothing like like may, the closing track is kind of nice i suppose uh you know, like he does, but there is, there's lots of ballads on here that are very just like ballad by numbers. And then it's into a fucking slap bass funk song. And then there's kind of, here's a chorus, you know, but yeah, I mean. There's a lot of um, bits that feel bolted on together. Like the structure of, as you said, there's like abrupt changes and sometimes you'll, you'll, they'll kind of stagger into a chorus and you'll be like, well, that doesn't feel like the same song. And the overall kind of patchwork impression from the first few initial listens to me was just like, this is, yeah, um, way too loose. It sounds like a band, like when Frashante talks about like, you know, having those vulnerable interactions, it sounds like they're being very polite with each other still. Like they've been away, so they're kind of on best behaviour and they're really excited and they're enjoying jamming, but they're also not saying, I don't like that idea. I don't think you should go that way. I don't think, you know, we can pare down this or that. So it just becomes a... Uh, like an enjoyable hang for them. It's it's a jam album. Um, it's their not, once upon not a time in Hollywood <laughs> album. Yeah, um, it just didn't stand out to me. It just felt very kind of um, unmoored or something. But maybe that's the point. Is that the point? I think it kind of is the point. Yeah, and I think it's them revisiting um, past eras. And John Frusciante is kind of in his comfort zone here. I think that's the whole point, right? It's like him coming home and picking up the guitar and being Jimi Hendrix. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there's a song called Heavy Wing, which he sings the chorus of, and I think that's actually a really good one. Um, I think the sound is pretty good. Like I, people can take and leave the take or leave the slap bass, but I think some of Flea's bass lines are pretty inventive. I think Chad Smith is doing interesting things for the first time since. Maybe by the way, because like he was replaced by program drums almost entirely last time around, and prior to that he was lazy as all hell. Like all those drum beats on Stadium Arcadium, which was l- even longer than this, were um, yeah, guy going through the motions. Well, so I think Danny California, I, mate, and that snare snap that we all love. <laughs> He's been doing that sa- snare snap though since like since the emergency, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes it kind of coalesces. Like there's moments, there's pockets, sometimes whole songs. What you thinking is great. Because like, I just feel like Shantae's guitar is great. The arpeggios, they lock in so well with Flea. Like I was replaying that song quite a lot being like, this is very exciting. And uh, I'm not going to apologise for that, Dave. You don't have to apologise. It seems like you enjoyed this. Give me a number out of 10. It's a six out of 10. There's huge problems with it. And I think, I think Kita's scuppers most of these songs because I think lyrically I can't there's only a handful of moments where this is a headphone listen because if you're around other people and you were blaring this out people would be like what is he saying do you know what I mean um uh, this is this is where I'm at with the band um I one of my comfort listens for a long time was Stadium Arcadium but the version on YouTube that is a fan-made instrumental version. <laughs> so you can just listen to John Frusciante's guitar and kind of like just mellow out to it. So it was beautiful having him back here. And it's a beautiful story. Do you know what I mean? Like they've been through a lot. He does seem like a sweet soul. I do like how they just kind of usher him back in. Josh Klinghoffer, by the way, did not just, you know, die on his way back to his home planet. <laughs> I think he's playing with Pearl Jam now. Oh, so okay. don't cry for Josh Klinghoffer. I, he's been in the Red Hot Chili Peppers and <laughs> moved on to Pearl Jam. Upgrade, I would say. <laughs> Absolute upgrade there. But yeah, there, it's a six out of... <laughs> <laughs> um, 
It's a six out of ten for me. Uh, did you see Eamon Sweeney's review, which is a one star? He gave it one out of five in the Irish, Irish Times. Times. He murdered it. Yeah, yeah. And it, now he did open. You know, I I always enjoy his writing. He did open with, of course, the Nick Cave quote of, you know, I'm forever. I'm forever near stereo. Stereo or the radio. And it's all the answer is always Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Um, which that devastated Flea, by the way. Did yeah, it? So I hope you're happy with yourselves. Lads. Yeah. <laughs> Flea is just like, he's one of my favourite artists. And then he's like, over the years, gotten over it and being like, it's all about the music and he's entitled to his opinion. But anyway, I I, I always like seeing that in print or on podcasts because it's such a great quote. But I will say, yeah. it's not actually it's relevant anymore. No. Because I think that quote was from 2004. And the thing is, nowadays, there's nothing like the Red Hot Chili Peppers on the radio. There's such a band out of time. Do you know what I mean? I can't see any of these being major hits. They're a strange little abomination that somehow became one of the biggest acts of all time. And I think better them than Imagine Dragons, right? Better them than Ed Sheeran. Sure. They're just, they're more, having them in the world is an interesting thing. And they're not hurting anybody, says Craig. They're harmless. Because we want a rock and roll band to be everybody safe. I think John Frusciante is going to whip them into shape and deliver a decent batch of songs next time around. I'm not going to stand by that, but yeah, I think I think he just might be washed. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> just now, after 12 albums, okay. He had a good run. Are, <laughs> the band are good players. I enjoyed moments of it. The nostalgia vibes were high. Six out of ten, yeah. So three Lock for me. In. Three for me. Three out of ten. Uh, okay. It's just not my thing. And we'll get our suits on, we'll get our glad rags on now, we'll dress the nines and we'll get ready for our top five. All right, Craig, top five award show moments. Um, That was just the name that we gave it. We didn't really get into the weeds on what we were going to do, but I took it to be like memorable, funny, impressive, bad. It could be anything. And music show awards, uh, music award shows, I presume, was the brief as well. You didn't stray into the world of, you know, gardening or anything, did you? I've gone all gardening. (laughs) It's mainly bands playing to plants, though. Um, no, I I took it as that as well. I didn't want to get too worthy with it. Like, I didn't... There's a lot of, like, oh, this is an amazing moment or what a performance. Um, I have a couple of those, maybe, but it's more leaning into the... This was funny, or do you remember that thing? Like, I, I just had fun with it, Dave. Okay. Um, to set the tone... <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> The long week. Just to set the tone. Uh, <laughs> As he rubs his eyes in exasperation. Tired, mate. Um, Let's set the tone. Not tired of you, though. You know. Um, never, never tired of me. Never tired of you, handsome. Oh, maybe uh, in nightclubs at like four in the morning yeah. when you want to go home to bed. But yeah. Craig, please. Uh, so, okay, right. Interpol! <laughs> They're playing all the rage back home. Um, right. Okay. Uh, to set the tone for award show moments and memorable things, I have arranged a clip not from a music occasion, not a musician either, despite what he thinks. Hell of a dancer, though. Um, so here's an incredible uh, mangling of a name. We all know what this is, right? Here it is. Take it away, John. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I love you. There will always be a special place in my heart for the movie musical and for the songs that create their most memorable moments. Here to perform the Oscar-nominated, gorgeously empowering song, Let It Go, from the Oscar-winning animated movie, Frozen, please welcome the wickedly talented, one and only, Adele Dazim. 
Oh my god! Uh, never gets old. John Travolta so much. introducing Adina Menzel there, and somehow magicking up a brand new name on the spot. Poor guy. I forgot that he opens with "Thank you, I love you." It's great. <laughs> I, 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 he's so earnest. He's such a strange man, but I, I have a soft spot for him. I, I must say. Like, yeah. whatever the chili like we're peppers. slipping back into the chili peppers review. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say like, there's someone who gets a gets a hell of a kick in that maybe doesn't deserve. Right, listen, um, I'll kick us off unless you want to. No, no, you go ahead. All right, um, it's the year two thousand, and there's a changing of the guard happening in terms of the kind of music that uh, makes your parents wonder if you're all right. And one person from a different generation was not happy about what was happening on stage and took it upon himself. To get involved. Adam, hit my number five, please. MTV Video Music Awards are known for their surprises, and Thursday's show is no exception. Rage Against the Machine bassist Tim Comerford was arrested after he disrupted the show by climbing part of the set. And we got a a madman. I wanted to bring the whole thing down, but they didn't move. In my mind, I visualized the whole structure on the ground, you know, and the next time they came out from commercial break, I wanted people to see destruction. This guy is rock and roll. He should be getting the award. It was just one of those things where, like, once I was up there, it's like, wow, now what are you going to do? I thought Eminem was chanting my name, but I was wrong. He was chanting to jump. (laughs) I saw Dr. Dre, you know, I thought that was weird. He was kind of scratching his head, you know, and I was like, he's not down. They are going to kick his ass. Tops, they were embarrassed and humiliated and frustrated um, because they could not get the cat out of the tree. Charles Manson's little brother up there. To be honest with you, I thought it was a, a, a beautifully honest act of frustration. I'm a huge Rage fan, and I guess that is Rage Against the Machine. Good ideas as to how to get him down. I just want to know, is it for world peace? Is it for world poverty? What are we fighting for? Chicken! My reasons, but my personal reason, totally personal politics. Tim C. spent one night in jail, pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct, and was released on time served. Okay, a lot to recap there. Uh, my favorite part there was Kid Rock being like, is it for world poverty? What's it for? Uh, that's so, that was the MTV Video Music Awards in 2000. Limp Biscuit won an award. Tim Comerford, Timmy C. of Rage Against the Machine, got out of his seat ran to the stage and scaled this massive fucking stand thing that he like... Yeah, I'm looking at it now. ...jumped up into and like got kind of stuck up there like a cat up a tree and just like started heckling the band and yelling at them and, you know, it was like, what's going on? And even Limp Bizkit were just kind of bemused by the whole thing. It was, it's, you know, it's probably sounded well, they're cooler. they're pretty hardcore themselves, Dave. Uh, they've seen some stuff. Um, and honestly, like, it just felt like a weird thing to do and there's like in the video there you heard like Brad Wilk say it was a perfectly entitled act of frustration he's the drummer from Rage Tom Morello kind of seemed alright with it but like uh, there was rumours afterwards that Zach De La Rocca of Rage was totally embarrassed and it like led to the band breaking up I think they were kind of on their way anyway but like he apparently took it really really badly um, Fred Durst was just like you know give him the award huh? but it was just kind of like okay Limp Bizkit or Limp Bizkit they're divisive um was this necessary? And I think, you know, I think for Rage Against the Machine member to do it was it was kind of embarrassing. It felt like very like how the mighty have fallen almost in a way. And like Rage was such a, like a, a decade long story, I think, in lots of ways. They were at the height of their powers through the 90s. And it was kind of like, are they done now? Are they a spent force? Um, 
they would put out the album Renegades that year, which was kind of, you know, a couple of originals, lots of covers, maybe just one original, actually. Um, and then they never released an album again. And they've obviously reunited here and there for reunion tours and such. But, you know, I've always said that the world desperately needs a new Rage album. Um, they are currently back together to a degree, but it seems that they're just touring as it is. Uh, are Limp Bizkit that objectionable, Craig, do we think? Um... No, I don't think so. But I, I can understand at the time why they were such a presence that it probably felt insufferable, particularly if you were a pioneering act kind of adjacent or seen as maybe leading on to a Limp Bizkit. I can see why you'd be like, not in my name. Um, but also I take your point of just being like, to start so incendiary and different and then to give this kind of limp, <laughs> limp protest hey. <laughs> hey, fantastic but you know when your debut album cover is like um, has you know quite the protest in terms of self-immolation and you end up at the VMAs just kind of like like a cat up a tree um, trying to be fished down it's like what yeah what are you protesting to very much uh, concur with Kid Rock as I always do Um yeah, it feels a bit like student politics. I think it's kind of cool, though, just because the visuals, like, I was just going through the photos there. I mean, it certainly stands out. Um, Gandhi would probably approve, you know, just completely pacifist. Um, I don't know how much he was heckling, but yeah, it would have been more it, powerful if he was utterly silent throughout. You know it has, I mean? you know, eco-warrior changed himself to tree yeah. kind of vibe off it. It's very spider from Coronation Street, yeah. Yeah. Did this moment birth Audio Slave? Maybe. What's your number five? Okay, uh, yeah, so I'll probably have some moments a bit akin to that one, but I wanted to start off with um, someone who could have featured quite a bit in a kind of jokey way, but I'm like, I'm not going to put him in in a jokey way. He is um, maybe a former patron saint of the show. You know where we're going with this. Wanted to keep it positive, so let's start with a banger. All day, all day, all day. It's yay, Mr. Kanye West back then, 2015 at the Brits, and it's all day debuting a new song. There was Flamethrowers Day, if there's two massive ones. One didn't quite work until the very end, but by damn, they persevered with it, and it was great. There was also of course, Taylor Swift yeah. with, with the most awestruck, possibly for the camera's expression awestruck, of all Awestruck, and then grooving quite heavily to it, as everyone else around her, including Lionel Richie, was just like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> um, Kanye West, of course, joined on stage by um, a huge array of UK crime artists, like Skepta, novelist, uh, Jammer, Conan, um, basically, yeah, it was just the stage was swamped and I think 40 odd people, black tracksuits, hoodies, um, as Dan Hancock's in The Guardian wrote, like it was a great way of deliberately flushing out the racists. As I say, yeah, because, probably like yeah, Theresa, the headlines, May, Theresa May watching yeah. on with concern at home. Yeah, you know, Kanye was promoting gang culture because <laughs> there was a group of black men all together performing, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it was, it was a kind of watershed moment, oh, I guess, amazing. for... British grime. Um, it felt genuinely a bit kind of dangerous. And yeah, you know, we're kind of slagging off the Brits there a little bit earlier, and I think quite rightly. And even at this point, 2015, we were a few years after the point where you would have, like it was such 
it becomes such an industry thing. And of course, award shows are always industry things by their very nature. But like the Brits would have an entire front cordoned off section just for like Brit school students to do that like Super Bowl, like fake cheering thing of just like, okay, get everyone hyped up and just be like weird uncanny valley, like cheerleader people. And you'd have like, um, I think I remember Alex Turner kind of getting up drunk at one point and being like, oh yeah, I remember all you people from the Brit school, great days. And they're all like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this is what the Brits has become over the 90s. But Kanye brought it back for one night only. There was also the discussion of like, you know, was he kind of using the grime artist as almost like props? Like there was a few, you know, not too many voices saying that, but there's a few, like um, R- Ramel London um, was a bit sceptical of and said, don't treat my brothers like backup dancers. Because I guess they didn't have own lines there wasn't really a collaboration in that regard Kanye sounded great in that regard but yeah now everyone involved was like no this was a brilliant brilliant thing um MC Novelist talked about it he said he was just chilling in Skepta's house and Kanye rang Skepta and said can you get some of your guys down um so he just brought all his kind of musical friends it was very spontaneous it was an hour before the show Novelist said I like the fact that I was on stage with people like myself in my tracksuit that was sick um and, you know, even if the headlines in the US and stuff were just, didn't really acknowledge that actually major artists were on stage with Kanye, they were just like, he was joined by like, you know, um, dancers or whatever. Um, novelist said that didn't matter because the people in the streets, once they finished that, were just like, this was the moment Grime, you know, got some kind of acknowledgement of the power it had. And, uh, you know, I think Storms, he's gone on to kind of like, write songs about it it's it kind of sparked this thing of just like bringing tremendous artists with real voices more to the forefront i think uh, it might have happened and it probably should have happened anyway but i think there's been a few moments big kind of award show moments since then where grime artists have made political statements have really get their vo- voice out there and i think this was for me anyway from the outside looking in i was like okay this is something that we need to sit up and take notice of and yeah adding in the Taylor stuff was was great. And also a great song based on Paul McCartney whistling in the 60s. So, you know. It's a fantastic song. And that, yeah, this is what the Brits should be for, right? I mean, like, you know, there should be not a, a token nod to local talent, but like, you know, why not raise up your voices when you're in, you know, when you have a me- mega superstar from America come over. This is Kanye at his, at his most, like the best example of his creative vision and his scope yeah. and his freedom to do things and to just mix it up and change things. And it did. Yeah. It felt like, it felt like a moment at the time. It was class. Um, it was so good. And yeah, it's. It, and it did, it did feel like what he was doing was like making a, a statement of like, these people should be invited. I'm bringing them. They're my guests. I'm like putting a mirror up to like the British music industry. And it's like, these are the artists that matter. And they're, they've now invaded the stage and they should be on the stage, but you haven't invited them. So yeah, I like to think he was coming from a good place in that, but who knows these days, Dave? That's my number five. <laughs> who knows? Uh, number four for me, we're going back to the MTV VMAs. And I think it was uh, two years on from my last one. So here we go. Okay. Awkward moment alert. Embarrassing moment for Michael as he accepts an award they weren't even giving out. I am thrilled to be here with you in New York on such a special night. And it's even more special because it just so happens to be someone special's birthday. This is someone who has inspired me and just about everybody in this room and the world. I consider him the artist of the millennium. He's a true innovator who pioneered the art of music video, broke down countless barriers, and sold more records than any other artist along the way. So happy birthday, my friend, the king of pop. 
When I was a little boy in Indiana, if someone had told me, if someone had told me that one day I would be getting, as a musician, um, the Artist of the Millennium Award, I wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. So uh, that was Britney Spears there, uh, dressed like she's going to a fucking Judas Priest gig afterwards, introducing Michael Jackson. And you'll note at one point in her speech, uh, it was his birthday and they were just doing a celebratory honorary award thing. Um, You'll note at one point in the speech, she said, I consider him the artist of the millennium. He then came out and uh, took whatever kind of makeshift trophy thing they'd given him. And of course, as you heard there, believed, in fact, that he had been named the artist of the millennium, officially, by the body oh, of MTV. The cringe. It's, it's, it's really upsetting. Um, well, in fairness to Michael Jackson, which is the <laughs> sentence I've just said. <laughs> okay. Why were they handing him anything that resembled an award? I mean, when you hear that term and you're like backstage and like the lights are going and they're screaming and you hear artist of the millennium and then you walk out and you're handed something that looks very much like an award. Yeah, they should have been handing him a jail sentence, Craig. Am I yes, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, handcuffs. Slap the handcuffs off. Slap the handcuffs on him. <laughs> well, I do no, like the idea a moment. Of, yeah. Imagine you're, we're arresting you. Yeah, it was a sting operation. I do oh, like the idea of... Um, That's oh. what they should have done. <laughs> it's right there. It was easy. Mate, tonight we're going to name imagine? it. It's like that would have been your no, no, no. That would have moved it from your number four to, number to your one. number... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. Like he walks in, there's plastic on the ground and it's like, oh no. Uh, yeah, no, that's how the, the, the ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Britney Spears shoots him <laughs> from behind as he's giving his speech. Would anyone have objected? Um, uh, I, I do like, you know, on a lighter note, um, giving Britney Spears just that role at many award shows where she can just kind of intermittently come on stage and just be like, I consider such and such and then just blah, a category and they have to dish out the awards. That'd be great. <laughs> just whatever she's feeling like in the moment. Yeah. But yeah, God, I, I forgot about that. I, I didn't stumble across that during my research, but I remember it now. Yes. Oh my God. Unforgettable. A bad night for Michael Jackson. Uh, moving He's on. He's had a few of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's move on. Okay. Um, let's move on to, okay, kind of going slightly back to Kanye a little bit. I'm not talking about the 2009 VMAs interruption. Um, we had another hip hop icon grabbing a mic, disrupting Main Street USA, delivering iconic lines. Let's go back to the first. Let's go back to 1998. <laughs> Please calm down. The music and everything, everything. I said, um, I went and bought me an outfit today that costed a lot of money today. You know what I mean? Because I figured that Wu-Tang was going to win. I don't know how y'all see it, but when it comes to the children, Wu-Tang is for the children. We teach the children. You know what I mean? Puffy is good, but Wu-Tang is the best. Okay? I want y'all to know that this is ODB and I love you all. Peace. No confusion there. I'm sorry. We telling us for the children. I think it was fairly kind of yeah, yeah, kind of straightforward and explanatory. Sean Colvin was confused. Um, I, I didn't remember who she was. She was winning so- Song of the Year at the Grammys, and um, she'd just been introduced by Erica Badu, an ODB, old dirty bastard, R.I.P. The legend himself came out looking tremendous, um, worth every penny that outfit, dressed to the nines, maroon jacket. Nice kind of black button-up, um, flowing scarf. Grabbed the mic and kind of did the Kanye thing, but a lot more politely, ending with I love you all. 
Um, so yeah, it was 1998. Wu-Tang's album, Wu-Tang Forever, um, had come out the previous year. It was up for best rap album. It's kind of not really seen as a classic now. Got great reviews at the time. It was a number one record for them built on the success of the debut. So they were huge, tremendous. It was certainly better than the debut album of Puff Daddy, No Way Out. He scooped the award. This was another one of those controversial things where, um, yeah, it was the Grammys. So, of course, um, best rap album wasn't being televised. So ODB had kind of got dressed up for nothing. And then, you know, piling on the indignation, seeing Puff Daddy scoop the award, he had to do something, of course. So um, he got on stage and did that. The immortal line, of course, yeah. Who tangs for the children. Um, I always kind of wondered what he meant by that. And this top five, let me do a little bit of digging. And he turned up on what radio show? The following morning, I believe. Any chance, Craig, was a Howard Stern. It's Howard Stern. <laughs> <laughs> Educated guess. Yeah, and he still seemed very much in that mode. Um, they were having great fun with him, um, genuinely kind of with him. Um, and he seemed a big fan of Stern as well. But like, yeah, Howard Stern was trying to get to like the root of it. Like, just like, what what were you, go- what was happening? What was going on? Like, what was your thought process? Were you like planning this? And um, ODB said, listen, my, my legs just kept moving. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they started playing the clip back to him. And there's this brilliant moment on YouTube where he's watching himself do it. And he's like head in hands, much like you were before we got into the segments, just being like, what, what? His eyes start watering. He's in disbelief. And yeah, the great moment when he initially comes out and like everything is going fine. It's all going smoothly. The nice uh, artist Sean Colvin is going to give the nice speech and the music is playing. And ODB is just going like as people politely clap, please, please, everyone calm down, calm down. (laughs) And Howard Stern is like, why were you saying calm down? And ODB is like, because I had to calm down myself. And (laughs) Then he gets to the line about Wu-Tang being for the children and Howard Stern's like, so what are you talking about right here? (laughs) And ODB is like, his voice is just trembling at this point. He just goes, love. (laughs) That's what he's teaching the children, love. He confirmed that he wasn't on anything. He only drank water. I don't think that was true. He was on love. He was on love. Um, But yeah, my research also led me to MTV's website. MTV's website is like still retro as all hell and they still have their news stories from like the 90s. Incredible. So yeah, an MTV news staff member. Three piece named Nirvana announced debut EP. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. Uh, So they had the whole story up, like just breaking it as it happened. Uh, ODB was talking to MTV News' Chris Connolly backstage at Radio City Music Hall and he said, something just jumped into my blood. (laughs) So they go through the whole thing. There's like links to like quick time clips of um, the video. He did uh, offer an apology after the incident, uh, but it was not immediately apparent who he was apologizing to. History repeating itself. Um, when he was asked if he felt sorry for stepping on what should have been the highlight of Colvin's career, ODB said, I apologize, my darling. I, I think it was her speech that really attracted me up to the stage at that point in time to do that. So no disrespect at all. Thank you. Um, she hadn't done her speech yet. So he must have been talking about Erica Badu. So he was just like, there's Erica Badu. I must go on stage, which is like, fair enough, I guess. Probably was a good um, 
speech. But also, right at the end of the news story, um, they revealed um, quite casually that it had been a banner week for ODB, who before Wednesday's Grammy stunt had already pulled a four-year-old girl from a burning car. What? There's a link then to the story, Old Dirty Bastard Saves Child. Oh my God, we're talking yes. is for the children. This is incredible. Yes. Yeah, I'm thinking now that's what he was talking about. So ODB was in the studio with uh, 12 O'Clock, who were like a, a woo-affiliated group. They're in Brooklyn. Um, he was coming out of the studio because a car was outside on fire after having crashed. There was a four-year-old girl trapped beneath the vehicle. So Old Dirty Bastard and some of his friends lifted the car off her. She was then taken to hospital where she was treated, I think, successfully for first and second degree burns. ODB visited the hospital on multiple occasions to check on her using a fake name so the press wouldn't know about it and they found out. Um, a good dude. This is amazing. <laughs> a great moment. I, I hope there yeah. was like a New York Times write-up on this that was really formal where it was like, Mr. Dirty Bastard Mr. pulled the child Bastard. from the car. <laughs> yeah. uh, inc- this is unbelievable. Like, this should have been your number one. This is incredible. I do I feel bad for Sean Colvin, um, though, because, you know, that's... I mean, that would it would kind of throw you, but in fairness, I guess it wasn't wasn't as harsh as the Taylor one because it wasn't him talking about an actual category. Like, he wasn't saying, you don't deserve the award. He was saying, Wu-Tang is for the children. Yeah, he still, hide, Daddy doesn't he still hijacks someone's the moment, though. But yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, like, ultimately... He also apologised to Puff Daddy. Um, it feels weird saying Puff Daddy after all these years. Um, P. Diddy on Howard Stern. I think being like, no, Diddy he's great now. as well. Okay. Or is it Love? I can't keep up. Wasn't he going to change his name to Love? Diddy Love. Yeah, we'll talk maybe. About that as well. We could talk about this all day, but we'll move on. And to my number three, Craig earlier on mentioned protest songs at award shows. So let's go back to the Brit Awards at 2018 for this. Well, you fool, we just forgot about Grenfell, you criminals. And you've got the cheek to call us savages. You should do some jail time. You should pay some damages. You should burn your house down and see if you can manage this. And please live folk, we just smoke a bit of cannabis. So, they'll get me for this, so be woke. This year I'm dishing out L's and free smoke. They tell us that we're fucks. I try and bust a myth. But someone told the Daily Mail they can sum up. Stormzy there at the Brit Awards in 2018 with a quite incendiary performance. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, like tremendous. Very much speaking truth to power. Um, and I remember watching this kind of, I think it was in the office and I was working that night and I was like, oh, it's the Brit Awards, you know, I'll have it on the background, nothing's really happening. And then that happened and I was like, wow, this is a moment. This is an award show moment. This is a genuine moment in music. And it's funny because I, I, I remember, I always come back to a time when I... Um, I remember, like, I was so sick of protest songs because there was so many Donald Trump protest songs coming out from Anodyne, American Axe. And I remember, like, on the podcast, Forever Got being like, oh, fucking... I don't know what I said, but I know I said, like, oh, musicians shouldn't write protest songs or something, and which was a very dumb thing of me to say. Because, you know, it has been... I, 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 like, like, you know, politics and music are obviously so interlinked, and I, I regret ever kind of even, like careening down that road for five minutes because I was like what the fuck was I saying but I think honestly if I recall I think I was it just it was an avalanche of very on the nose yeah. Trump ones in particular and I was like this is just so adding nothing to the conversation yeah exactly yeah. like yeah I'm not defending Trump here or anything I'm just saying like like leave him alone <laughs> no I'm just saying it's just like get off his back it was just it led to some really bad music that I was like this is going to be so dated but yeah the concept of course like protest through music Jesus Christ, I mean, like, would music even exist, you know, in so many cases, for so many different reasons. And I think Stormzy's um, 
just his pure visceral nature on this track uh, on 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 his speech here. He mentions Grenfell, of course, uh, yeah. Grenfell Tower, uh, the absolute disaster in June of 2017. A fire tore through Grenfell Tower, 24 stories, 72 people died. There are still public inquiries. I saw one today. Um, some fucking horrible Tory minister named Lord Pickles. That's his legitimate name. I couldn't believe. Any other kind. Couldn't Lord believe what Pickles, I was seeing. Of course, uh, he was basically on some some inquiry, and he was like, you know, hurry up with your questions. I'm a very busy man, and it's like, fuck me. Uh, there's been documentaries made about Grenfell. It's continuously a thing. It was should never have happened. It's it's a, a horrible, horrible fucking. Uh, stain, I think, on just horrendous fucking bureaucracy and just uh, negligence and societal, you know, just fucking rancor and, you know, as Stormzy says in this kind of moment, that, you know, there are people who should be in prison over this and they they aren't. And, you know, it goes to the highest levels of British government. Um, From what I can tell, I'm no expert. I don't pretend to be. But it was a powerful moment. And again, it was like taking this sanitized awards before show, the Brit Awards, which is traditionally very like, here's here's James Corden in the front row. Here's Jack Whitehall hobnobbing with the stars. And it's like, no, this is what we should be seeing. We should be seeing moments like this. And someone like Stormzy uh, was absolutely the man to do it. And clearly fearless in that regard. Uh, he would go on, I think it was the following year when he headlined Glastonbury. And again, it was just like, well, we're watching someone who is more than a musician. We're watching someone who is yeah. uh, an incredible voice. Uh, he played three arena last week. I didn't go. I had an invite and I didn't go because I was like still trying to dodge that COVID bullet. And I thought 13,000 people in three arena might not be the best. Yeah, <laughs> but I can't I, even imagine But that. of course, I was sitting here last Friday at like nine o'clock and I was like, ah, I should have gone. Because he's amazing. Yeah. I love Stormzy. I think he's absolutely brilliant. And this was an important moment. And you get those moments sometimes at shows like the Brit Awards. I know uh, Dave, uh, he paid tribute to a guy who was killed in the terrorist attack a while ago. I, I do apologize for not having the name to hand right now. But you'll get those moments on occasion when an artist will actually just be like, you know what, I'm going to come through the fourth wall here. I'm going to break the fourth wall for a reason and try and get a message out there to the world. And they are the most powerful moments of all. They're so much more powerful than like, you know, Ed Sheeran teaming up with Bring Me the Horizon, for example. Yeah, here, here. Okay, I'm going to get way more um, inconsequential on my number three pick. And after leading with love, I'm now leading with hate. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you. You're a wonderful man and a great writer. To everyone in the room, all the inspiration that keeps me going, all the new music that comes out of Britain. I'd like to mention Milo and Just Jack, who I think are brilliant as well. To Jonathan, who's a ponch. Um, <laughs> Madonna, best fucking live act. Fuck off. <laughs> Since when has lip syncing been live? Sorry about that, but I think everyone who lip syncs in public on stage when you pay like 75 quid to see them should be shot. Uh, Thank you very much. That's me off a fucking Christmas card list, but do I give a toss? No. Thank you very much. Elton John there thanking Elvis Costello um, for handing him his, I think, Best Songwriter Award at the 2004 Q Awards. And this will be a bit of a pick for all of the kind of Q Awards, which were kind of an interesting thing as someone that read Q Magazine um, over the years, because it was 
it was a good setup, right? Like, let's have our own award show. Let's lure all these kind of very disparate artists who have big mouths and we'll just have them in the audience with all of our journalists who will be able to write about every conversation they have. And sometimes they would just have those conversations on stage. So this is kind of the first properly public um, <laughs> moment of the Elton John Madonna spat emerging. It's we've talked about it on the show before. It's been pretty one-sided in terms of like Elton John just has a bee in his bonnet about Madonna. It seemed to start in 2002. Elton John critiqued Madonna's um, Bond song, Die Another Day. He said it was the worst Bond tune ever. Clarifying that he is a big fan of the singer, Elton thought it would have been better suited to someone like Lulu or Shirley Bassey or even himself. Um, yeah, in response to this, um, Madonna's spokesperson came out and was like, Madonna does not lip sync, nor does she spend her time trashing other artists. Elton John remains on her Christmas card list, whether he is nice or naughty. And like Elton John later retracted his comments. Uh, he was like, yeah, I was unfair. Um he didn't want things to escalate because they were friends. And he said, um, she's been to my house for dinner. It was something I said in the heat of the moment. <laughs> Probably should not have said. It's like, imagine being mates with someone and like, <laughs> like having that much of an outburst. Like there's like pure bile in that. Um, <laughs> however, his stance on lip syncing still remained. And it seemed as though Madonna hadn't forgiven him despite his somewhat public apology. Because... Elton then asked Madonna to perform at his bachelor party and she turned him down, which is like, fair enough. And then he reportedly told his guests that Madonna, the miserable cow, wouldn't do it, <laughs> which is like hilarious. Anyway, it's been going on for years and years. 2012, um, David Furnish got involved when she won Best Original Song at the Golden Globes, um, said it was embarrassing that she won over Elton. And she just keeps being like, oh, yeah, he seems to keep getting mad at me. I'm sure he'll win another award. Like, I don't feel bad about it, but whatever. And he's just like, just keeps harping on about it. But yeah, I did want this just to signify in general. Two awards from that time, like 2002 to 2008, maybe. The booze it was good is reading. flowing, you know, people, yeah, you're, you're going to get some. It was absolutely flowing. More yeah, than booze, you would I would have. say, as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything flowing. Um, there was another great moment where Chris Martin was like trying to build a bridge with Liam Gallagher, who happened to be in the audience. I think, I think, um, yeah, Damon Alvin was also there. It was like when he patched things up with the Oasis brothers and like Chris Martin was just like, I'm going to have some of that. <laughs> and he was on stage. Coldplay got best act in the world today because of course, Q Magazine. And Chris Martin did his usual Chris Martin thing of being like, um, what's the quote? Liam is charming. He said some rude things, but you know, we don't have an argument with anyone. We'd like to show our undying love and respect for Oasis. And like cutting across him was like Liam Gallagher sitting like yards away from him, just going, no bed, come on, have a pop. And he said, you're a plant pop. Or, sorry, you're a plant pot, which true about me there and Chris Martin at the time. And he just kind of like walked off stage and was like, plant pot? Um, so yeah there was lots of those moments there was also the moment in the bathroom when Nicky Wire confronted Alex Turner oh, after so good. <laughs> explain the background here I th so I, I think this was 2006 so it would have been because that's when they broke through, through yeah. so yeah yeah they broke through they won I think like album of the year or whatever and um, Arctic Monkeys did for their debut and they were all still teenagers. They all took copious amounts of booze on whatever, I'm guessing, because they were nervous lads. So Alex Turner would just get on, get on stage and say whatever came to mind. 
that same award show, Take That were winning some like, I don't even know what Take That won, like some maybe pop icons or something like that. This was also, of course, around the time of their comeback, which, you know, we very much endorse, Patience being the best comeback single of all time. Yes, yes, 100%. And um, I think Manic Street Preachers were on the comeback trail as well around about this time. Maybe it was a couple of years They're later they really the kicked into gear. Trail. They kind of are. They kind of are. But Alex Turner took to the stage and was just like, <laughs> you know, we, we say this thing about awards being absolute nonsense. And yeah, yeah, it's kind of all rubbish, isn't it? Like you see some of these people here getting awards. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. Uh, like I'm a bit young. And then the exact quote is, even I know take that were bollocks. I'm not having that. And he's like, tra and like as he's ushered <laughs> off stage by the sugar babes. <laughs> oh man, to be ushered off the stage by the sugar babes, I mean, come on. So good. But then to be like what a high that is, from the high of that to then like going for a slash, a Nicky Wire bassist of the match. Practically grabbing just, him by the throat and shoving him against a bathroom wall. And was just like, take that or ten times the band Arctic Monkeys, whatever. It is. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> And he's like, he's since talked about it and being like, James Dean Bradfield had to grab my arm and say, don't lose it, Nikki, as this was going down <laughs> as you were speaking. <laughs> oh my God. Nikki, Nikki War, by the way, has gone on to like, he's picked um, Patience as like one of his favorite songs. He said, um, this is not an ironic choice. It's the greatest comeback single in history. Right. If Neil Young had written it, people would be calling it a masterpiece. Um... <laughs> Alex Turner has since come round. He has. 2011, yeah. he said, we love Gary Barlow. Um, I think I really offended him a few years ago. I'm sorry about it. I didn't understand it then. I didn't understand it then. Yeah. Is <laughs> like that the same interview some, when he says, um, he goes... Like it's craft work or something. I just, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Lou Reed thing, a metal machine music. And now I get it. Isn't that the same interview when he says, um, he goes... He goes, look, he goes, we were young, we were dumb, whatever the fuck. And he goes, and, and then he said, he goes, look, they went off and wrote Shine, which was the best fuck you possible that they could have done. So mutual respect yeah. learned along yeah. the way. And those magazine awards, a um, lot of time for them. Okay. Well, Craig has um, wonderfully set me up for my number two. Okay. Because uh, you want a brash young man on stage talking nonsense, a, spe- a particular brash young man on stage talking nonsense. Here's Alex Turner, everybody. Ah. That rock and roll, eh? That rock and roll, it just won't go away. It'll, um, might hibernate from time to time and sink back into the swamp. I think the uh, cyclical nature of the universe in which it exists demands it adheres to some of its rules. But it's always waiting there just around the corner, ready to make its way back through the sludge and smash through the glass ceiling, looking better than ever. Yeah, that rock and roll. It seems like it's fading away sometimes, but uh, it will never die. And there's nothing you can do about it. Thank you very f- much for this. I do truly appreciate it. Don't take that the wrong way. And uh, yeah, invoice me for the microphone if you need to. 
Boy, good closing line. Yeah. Boy, did the uh, the Brit school uh, cheerleaders have to work their socks off on that one. The awkward crowd. That's Alex Turner of Arctic Monkeys. The other three guys are there. They didn't say anything. That's his full speech from the Brit Awards in 2014. Uh, he does a literal mic drop at the end there. Hence the invoice yeah. me for the microphone thing. Doesn't even smash that it. Just rock and roll. Casual drop. Um, I don't know what they'd won. I assume it was best British band or best album or something. Um, it's not important. What's important is eight years on. We're still talking about this speech, Craig. I have to ask the questions, the obvious questions. Was he out of his mind on something? Was he taking the piss? Was Or is this an actual meandering whatever the fuck? The, the lads in the band seem to be having a great time. They're laughing along. They think it's very funny. Um, is this meant to be, he's in on the joke? He's, he's, he's ripping the piss out of pretentious rock bands? Or did he, in fact, go so far in the other direction, eight years on from the band's inception, that he was lost and never coming back? What do we think? I think he's he's become lost and he's never coming back. But I kind of like the places that he's got lost in. Like his dispatches from those places have been very entertaining uh, musically and in terms of his new like lounge lizard persona. So th- 2014, this was them winning for AM, I guess. And he was very much doing that like Teddy Boy haircut and like the letter stuff and like I'm a rock and roll star. So I'm guessing, to answer your first question, that... He started out being like, I am going to double down on the rock and roll and portray this character that is like an arrogant rock star that's like all about the kind of, I don't know, the very back to basics, proper haircuts, proper tunes, you know, proper lads. Real thing, music. Almost like, yeah, real music. But I think, yes, you know, through the filter of a very many substances, you start living it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's gone full methods. He's gone, hopefully not full Jared Leto, but yeah, I think he got lost in it and I think he became that human being. Did you? I, I think it's drenched in irony. I feel like everything he does is drenched in irony, right? Did you, Slash, do you like this speech? Do you get a kick out of it? Um, If I will myself to believe that it's drenched in irony because otherwise the repetition of... That rock and roll, roll. I just can't. (laughs) That makes my skin crawl. He says, like, you know, like, like, it'll never be stopped and there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's a reaction to, like, him probably being bored of conversations about, like, is guitar music dead? We're all bored of those conversations, but we don't natter on for two minutes in this regard. But we do natter on, Craig, and I'll let you continue on. Give me your number two. Okay, um, I'm going to stick with feuds and... um, this was kind of low stakes on reflection, but I love how massive it got. It, it's Britpop meeting, once again, the king of pop. Get out of my feet. Yeah. <laughs> he was up with the gods where he felt he belonged. Wacko Jacko, 40 feet up in the clouds, oblivious of the devilry at work on his act below. There, the more earthly and earthy figure of Jarvis Cocker was expressing something, hopefully just his opinion, on Michael Jackson's Earth Song. Fans and critics agreed Jackson's portrayal of himself as the saviour of the poor was over the top. But was Cocker's stage invasion justified and did he assault three children? Rival fans continued the dispute here as they waited for Kensington police to decide if Cocker was saint or sinner. All he did was uh, wiggle his bum and then get kicked in by some bloke dressed as Buddha. What a 
All he did was wiggle his bum and then get his, yeah, kicked in by some bloke dressed as Buddha. Tremendous. Jarvis Cocker storming the stage of the Brits, uh, 1996, as, yeah, song raged around him. And as you heard there, Michael Jackson opened the gods, surrounded by dancers, one of whom tried to tackle him. Um... It was a big moment. Jarvis Cocker was arrested <laughs> in the aftermath. Um, the context for it's quite interesting because it's once again, you know, it's our sneaking suspicion, Dave, that a lot of these award shows um, aren't kind of doled out on, you know, the, the the baubles don't kind of go out on merit. There's a lot of shenanigans behind the scenes. Sometimes it's all about the promo, as hard as that is, is to believe. But yeah, back in the day, I'm not sure if this is still the case, maybe it is, but the Brit Awards in the very early years were like organised year to year um, by different major labels, right? So like one year you'd have Universal hosting it, one year you'd have Warner kind of setting it up. So in 1996 with Sony, um, Michael Jackson's label, so they're like, oh, okay, he's got his new album out, History, um, which was like, I think a mix of old stuff and new tunes. This was also the press campaign where, like, I think a giant bust of him was, like, floated down the Thames. Not not terrifying at all. (laughs) Not terrifying at all. So Pulp were there in the audience. They were at one of three tables that I think Ireland, their label, had. um, And they were, like, at a certain point twigging on to, okay, this is just, like, a Michael Jackson event that's masquerading as an award show. Um, So, yeah, Ireland's managing director at the time, Mark Merrill was just like everybody in the room felt it had been completely hijacked. Um, It was a promotional vehicle for Michael Jackson, um, including creating the fake award that was being given to him, the Artist of a Generation Award. Oh, no way. Oh, oh, incredible. (laughs) the form here? This is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so there was precedent. Uh, No wonder he was confused when Britney stepped on stage. That's fair. All is forgiven. Um, Not all is forgiven. No, no, not all. Some. Um, anyway, <laughs> okay. when he was, not Jesus Christ, Jarvis Cocker and Michael Jackson, um, Earth songs are raging. Jarvis Cocker was getting very worked up and Candida from Pulp saw this and like started goading him. I was just like, oh yeah, you're pissed off about this, are you? Why don't you do something about it? You're not going to do anything, are you, Jarvis? <laughs> <laughs> and she, <laughs> before they knew it, Jarvis was up and he'd gone and he was on stage. If you watch the clip, like he gets on stage, kind of stands there and does his Jarvis thing and it's like, clearly he's like, I have no idea what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do next. So he kind of turns and like wiggles his bum and like wafts to be like, oh yeah, this is like a load of shite or something like that. I think he was just going to leave at that point. Like he said, um, other island artists like Tricky were going to join him. But um, in the event, some dancer slash Michael Jackson bodyguard runs out to like confront him and like chases him away. And he like runs off like a kind of geography teacher and it's great. (laughs) And in the ensuing kind of melee, I think some kids that were dancing around Michael Jackson are like knocked over. That footage, of course, proved that it was <laughs> it was one of the dancers doing the knocking over, not Jarvis. But um, such was the weight of the um, Jacko Industrial Complex that like there was a knock on his door straight away, and um, it was security, it was um, Jackson's bodyguards, it was the police, and they were like, "Yeah, we're we're taking you into custody." He was put in the back of a police van. Um, so your man Mark Marrow got words that like, "Yeah, they're they're arresting your singer." Um, also at the table with Ireland was Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer. Oh wow! <laughs> right. So 
This is where it gets really great. So Bob Mortimer apparently is a qualified conveyancing lawyer. Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. <laughs> From back in the day. Which I think I remember him saying on one of those um, <clears throat> Would I Lie to You things where he just like, he's by far and away the best thing on that show. And he like told the story of him being a liar and no one believed him. Um, a lawyer, should I say. He's also a liar. In a, in quite hey, what's the difference, fashion. mate? Am I right? Yeah. Ah, oh, you're so right. Hey. You're so right. <laughs> Bob Mortimer, though, was like, I'll come along and help Jarvis. <laughs> so the four of them went to Kensington Police Station. Um, uh, the fourth guy being Nick Angel, uh, who was a bit pissed. Bob Mortimer was also pissed. Um, <laughs> and at one point, the duty officer turned to Mark and was like, if your friends don't back off, I'm going to put them in the fucking cell too. Uh, outside the station, Vic Reeves held up a sign saying, free the Jarvis one. Incredible. <laughs> Um, I have another clip here and um, Adam if you can go to Jarvis on like police or like arrest whatever the second clip is there I don't think we need the first one but this is him on to really set the fucking context at the time TFI Friday the week after telling his story after he was freed Is it true that once he got to the police station he was faced with three Michael Jackson Los Angeles lawyers and he said no not doing it (laughs) Is that right? I don't know about that. As far as I knew, all policemen kept asking him for his autograph because he concentrated on his job. Well, they, they also said, the policemen that were there, they were very nice about the whole situation. Uh, they were saying outside your dressing room, the, the, the Jackson lawyers were trying to find something to charge you with, but they couldn't think of anything. Have they thought of anything to charge you with yet? Well, I'm sure they'll be trying. They've got until, I think, the March the 11th, which is when I've got to go back to the police station, and then if the if they've thought of anything, that, then I'll get charged with it. But so far, it just remains upsetting Michael Jackson a bit. I think, which as far as I know, isn't a crime in this country. It might be in America. <laughs> OK, people are saying here that the cardigan was a crime worthy of... <laughs> get lost, they'll all be wearing them in about six months' time. Oh, OK. Oh. No, sorry, so Sam Endicott-esque fashion prediction there from Jarvis. Yeah, Chris Evans doing his usual being a bit of a dick thing of like slagging off his clothing and Jarvis just being like, no, I like my cardigan throughout, which is great. Um, and yeah, like that is just the epitome of Britpop at the time, isn't it really? Like in America, it might be, you know, against the law. It's us versus them, very Michael much Jackson. so, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I don't think he was thinking it true at all, but it was a great moment. Um, weirdly, or maybe not so weirdly, um, Sony immediately like turned the press against Jarvis in the immediate aftermath. So they essentially like cracked open the champagne that night, got like all the mirror and sun journals around and was just like, so listen, Jarvis Cocker, he was assaulting kids. (laughs) You know what to do, right? And all the headlines after were like, Jack O'Rages and Yob Rocker. (laughs) (laughs) Yob Rocker. The Daily Mirror declared the night our dreams were pulped. Um, but luckily, by the time we got to this TFI Friday uh, appearance, um, the public were like, actually, no, Jarvis Cocker is a lovely little man. And um, yeah, this was a great, hilarious thing. And Michael Jackson just, get out of here. Um, so he, yeah, wasn't charged in the end, didn't, you know, wasn't convicted of anything. Um, Jarvis Cocker is for the children. Sure. Uh, knocking them over specifically, or not knocking yes. them over, not facilitating knocking the over. knocking over of children. Uh, there was an incredible thing at the start there where, like, there was the British news report and it was like, wacko, jacko. It's like, do you think we get that today? Yeah. Do you, like, oh, definitely not. No. And also, <laughs> also, <laughs> seek out the YouTube clip because, um, at that point where they're just like, the fans kind of um, are embroiled in a dispute of like, who, over whose side you should take. They have a clearly staged <laughs> moment where they've like teenagers that like, it's like two sets of fans and they're like, 
shoving each other and being like, oh no, Michael Jackson, oh no, Jarvis Cocker. And it's just like, oh, the so 90s. Yeah. More innocent times and probably worse times. So, um, well, to be fair, there's a charm in that clip you play because you can tell that it's, it's been ripped from a VHS copy because you can yeah, hear that yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, thing like like kind of going through it, you know? So, which sets me up perfectly great for my number one. I have a, I have a few clips for this number one. Um, and it's wild. I want you to, it's also summertime for humanity, or in this case, hey! it was wintertime during summertime for humanity. Um, I'm just going to pause for a second because I got to, I got to plug in my charger here. So please bear with me. Why don't you talk into the microphone while I do this? Otherwise my, otherwise my Zoom call will just collapse into nothingness if I don't plug this in now in the next 10 seconds. So bear with me. Okay. I'm glad that summertime for humanity is featuring. We got, um, summertime for humanity Eve, late spring, 1998. I can't wait to hear what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, picture the scene. You're back. Uh, we're back. Uh, picture <laughs> Good the scene. vamping by me, Jesus. <laughs> you vamped. Saying nothing at all there. <laughs> uh, you say it best when you say nothing at all, which actually works perfectly for what I'm about to talk about here. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Dublin. It's 1999. Oh! It's the MTV Europe Music Awards. Boyzone have just won an award. And a man from that group who is quite clearly out of his fucking mind steps up to the microphone. And he says the following. Sorry, I should say, like I say, some of these clips, the quality is going to vary because it was very hard to track this down. And so in some cases, it's going to sound not amazing, but it might add to the charm of the time. Anyway, take it away, Shane. All right, folks. In the press recently, there's been a whole load of fucking shit about poison. In the year 2000 about breaking up. I tell you what, we're Dubliners, we're Irish, and we'll be here for a long time. Shane Lynch of Boys on there on stage uh, in the Point Depot at the MTV Europe Music Awards in 1999 in Dublin. Um, taking aim at the press, obviously, not happy. Uh, it's November of yeah. 1999 when this show occurred. He said, it's all bollocks. Boyzone won't split up in the year 2000. Uh, he was correct. They split up in November 1999, the same month. Good job, Shane. Not bad. But not to be outdone. Boyzone had a lot to say on that show. Uh, here's Keith Duffy, uh, just before him, actually, with some absolute nonsense. Put us on the map. Look at us now. Look at us now. Somebody once said, give the Irish alcohol so they don't take over the world. Try again. Look at us now. Thank you. Okay. Try again. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> so boys on were honored. They won awards. They won more than one award. I forget what they were, but like uh, it's not important. Um it, what's important is they had their big moment. This is broadcast around the world. Shane Lynch's F bomb hastily edited off. I had to find four different uh, bad rips of this online to find the F bomb, by the way. I really put the hard yards in. And so did Ronan Keaton, by the way. Not only an award winner online, but the host of the host, event. Yeah. Um as a matter of fact, um here is Ronan Keaton at the end of this because he has to do a link and the link Craig is bizarre here it is Uh, what's left to say other than thank you very much to everybody that supported us over the years to our record company Lucian Grange thanks to everybody God bless you John Kennedy thank you isn't Ronan doing a great job right flag. anyway here's a, a pop combo that can turn any audience into jumpers and sweaters so go on, jump and sweat for a band that likes knitting but never shares needles. Dick 
the girls. I don't think you're getting Craig's doing a standing ovation. I don't Fantastic think I don't thing. think you're getting away with that today, are you? Um, at this point, I should I should shout out a, a mutual friend of ours, Craig Dylan New, who we worked with back in the hot press days. Dylan, I, yes. I, I'm going to put this up on Twitter after the show is out, like for about 24 hours, for no spoilers, you know. So I'll put this over uh, open the weekend. I'm going to going to quote. Uh, he he did a Twitter a, a Twitter thread on this event recently, but a year ago maybe possibly, yeah. where he like live. Oh, it's a long time ago now. I maybe think. a couple a years ago. He, he like yeah. he like live watches it, and it's an astonishingly good thread. So I'm going to yeah, it's I'm going to put that back out on Twitter. I remember this at the time. I remember watching this live, not live, the hour delay. Um, and I, it was, I had a sleepover with some friends because it was such an event. <laughs> it was such an event. Britney, Britney Spears was there. She won several awards. Um, Iggy Pop was there. Well, me, he opened the me, thing and I was like, oh yeah, go on. Uh, give, uh, give let me go. Thing. I really hope this isn't your number one, by the way. Um, uh, now, go on. So we'll go through it, right? So here's the thing, right? Iggy Pop did open the show. There was actually two performances on the pre-show. Bewitched performs, Jesse Hold On, and Westlife uh, played If I Let You Go. The main show, as was broadcast... Iggy Pop opened with Lust for Life and there is an infamous moment where he does a stage dive, this fucking 60-year-old shirtless man, and everyone in the crowd jumps away and he just splats onto the fucking concrete. Um, Mariah Carey, uh, apparently with Missy Elliott, she was there. Um, Underworld, Britney Spears, The Offspring, Jamiroquai, Whitney Houston, The Cardigans, Puff Daddy, uh, Ligaboo, I don't know who they are, The Coors, and it closed with Marilyn Manson playing Rock is Dead. As for the appearances, uh, giving out awards and such, Denise Richards and Pierce Brosnan, Jerry Hallowell, Christina Aguilera and TQ, Carmen Electra and the Fun Love and Criminals, Damon Albarn and Mary J. Blige, Alicia Silverstone was there. Uh, it was wild. Mick Jagger? Like, I mean, crazy stuff. <laughs> you know, it, it was such a... I, I, I sent this on to a good friend of the show, Richard Chambers, during the week. Uh, and he was like, yeah. he was like, this is the most, this is like Tiger era through the fucking roof. I found an incredible RTE news package of when the show was announced. Oh, great. Here's some audio. This is, this is just glorious. Hook this to your veins. The Irish took over a small part of London today for the launch of the sixth MTV Europe Music Awards. Westlife have been nominated in Best Breakthrough Act category. The show will be broadcast live to an audience of over one billion. Next to arrive were the Coors, who, with the likes of Whitney Houston, Marilyn Manson and the Cardigans, will be one of the guest acts at the point on November 11th. Today, the organisers reveal the star presenter for the show, Ronan Keating. Boyzone have been nominated for three awards. Others presenting awards on the night include Pierce Brosnan, Gary Barlow and Eternal. Dublin has never seen an event like this before. Top stars will be jetting in from all around the world for the MTV Europe Music Awards. So why has Dublin been chosen? The boss of MTV is Brent Hansen. Well, we've always wanted to do the show in Dublin. In fact, uh, we know the audience is our purest audience probably anywhere across Europe. They're very literate. Uh, they're very much into kind of different styles of music. You just look at your own uh, the spread between you know, kind of you know, traditional and pop. So it's very important for us, but we haven't been able to do it up until now because there haven't been enough hotel rooms. And Not a problem anymore, Chief. Oh my God. Do you think that was the moment? <laughs> <laughs> Paris and P were just like, we're not letting that be a problem. <laughs> Don't worry, we will spend the next 23 years raising the city Our of its mission, culture. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, speaking of years... Waiting for the EMAs to come back. <laughs> <laughs> Please come back. Um, Craig, in a way we're unlucky, because had we been, had this been taking place in 2011... 
Oh we, my god. We could have got in off the hot press. Fucking, my god, we could have. Yeah. We could have been hobnobbing him with the stars who were jetting in. Th- that moment in that newspaper when he said this would be seen by a, a global audience of over one billion. I don't think so. <laughs> like, no, I'd be surprised with that. This was the height though. Go. This was the height of this kind of stuff and it really was wild to be sitting, you know, as you said, you had a sleepover for it, you know. It was watching this on TV and being like, that's happening in Dublin. Crazy stuff. And you know, like the Marilyn Manson, it felt like the end of the world, that performance. <laughs> like as a young bird, I was just like, what is happening? Credits this is like, in, this is my, mere miles away from me. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's my that's my number one award show moment. The entirety of the 1999 MTV EMAs in the Point Depot, Dublin, and of course oh man, Shane Lynch. Uh, Shane Lynch not being happy. Um, he also wasn't happy. Do you remember years later, like years ago, when there was some boys on reunion on the late late, and they it's on late late. Yeah, he played the clip, the clip that they always play. And in fairness, when I interviewed Ronan Keaton, I did ask him about the clip because you can't not ask him about the clip. And Shane Lynch on live TV was like, show up your fucking hole. And like Ryan Toby did like a full Pat Kenny, Jerry Hannon arms out stretch where he's like, we're having a bit of fun, you know? Um, so yeah, that's my number one. Can you defeat I remember, it? yeah, I remember Shane Lynch appeared in some reality show where celebrities competed in like Olympic events and he was very good at the diving. Like tremendously good. The coaches were like, he could have been professional. Just like, that's um, like the best thing about Just him. like Jason Satham, who was a professional diver before he got into the old acting game. No way. Yeah, yeah, I think he competed and stuff. Okay, well, I can't compete with your number one, I don't think. I'm sticking with the Brits, actually. I'm going back seven years, and here we go. Here's um, a gigantic band at the time, weirdly enough, Raising Hell. From London's Hammersmith Odeon, one of the greatest venues for live music over the past 60 years, the British record industry, in association with the Britannia Music Club, presents The Brits 1992. And the KLF. a.m. Eternal, you could definitely figure out what that song was. It's the KLF. Um, but it's mainly grindcore band Extreme Noise Terror playing as um, KLF member Bill Drummond came on stage with a crutch and started firing machine gun blanks at the audience who didn't realise that they were blanks. Um, they also then, um, well, they proceeded to leave the show. I think they might have been kicked out. They won, did they win Best Artist? No, actually they did. They won Best Artist, but they had to share it with Simply Red. Of course. <laughs> Which is tremendous. Um, they couldn't pick it up though. They sent a courier for it and um, the courier wasn't let in. They were busy at the time dumping a dead sheep at the after show in front of every horrified guest imaginable. And yeah, it was 1992, Buckaroo. The KLF are an interesting act, Dave. I don't know if you know much about them. They were kind of... Um, I don't know, a band based on like reading one too many like anarchic situationist manifestos. They had one of themselves, but they were tremendous in, uh, I mean, you've, you've kind of got to hand it to them because they started in the late 80s. It was Bill Drummond, as I said, who was, I think, evolved from the industry. He was a manager, um, worked with different labels. In his kind of early 30s, he was like, actually, I just need something new. I'm going to start a band. I think he released a solo album, teamed up with Jimmy Cotty for um, the formation of the KLF, who were also known as the Justified Ancients of Mew Mew. And 
they nearly immediately had a number one single, Doctor in the TARDIS, which is a horrendous song using the Doctor Who team. And they were like, yeah, we know this is horrendous, but we know how to get it to number one. They did. They then wrote a manual, which is called the manual, how to have a number one the easy way. They went on to have loads of kind of hits. They like, I don't know, they they pioneered a whole host of kind of musical genres in a very short amount of time. And they did this kind of stuff. They'd already tried this um, at Top of the Pops and Top of the Pops were like, no, you can't do it. Um, the Brit Awards the year previously wanted to do a kind of compilation of acts performing and they were like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it um, because they were so unbelievably massive at the time. But they suggested we'll um, we'll do various stuff with there might be a kind of elephant execution. Um, there's going to be a dead sheep involved. And the Brits were like, no, no. And then the next year they let them do this. Um, and there was more plans. They had like eight gallons of real blood in the back of a van that they were going to like just throw on people. They didn't go ahead with that. They did say they felt bad about the sheep, but it was dead anyway. And it was about like, you know, how the industry sucks the life out of people, man. And they were kind of disappointed that people liked this. So they went to like an island off Scotland and burnt a million quid and deleted their entire catalogue. <laughs> I think it's back on Spotify now, but <laughs> just a weird, tremendous band. And yeah, that's my number one. The, um, it's quite the letdown after um, <laughs> the Irish <laughs> extravaganza, to be honest. Like even machine gun blanks and a dead sheep <laughs> dumped in front at the Brits can't compete with chain lynch. Yeah, yeah. I, I, in fairness, it's, I do think it's a, it's a number one for the ages from me this week in terms of like, it felt like, it felt like I was just unleashing like a flurry of like finishing moves on you or something there. Um, oh, but this, so the KLF much. is a good shout. Um, the, the dead sheep thing, I feel like, like it's such a, we, we felt bad for the dead sheep. It's like, yeah, now we will rob it of its dignity and agency by using it as part oh, of... Oh, totally. Yeah. Couldn't do it now, Dave. But there's a lot of stuff in this list, Craig, that you couldn't do now. I think that's fair to say. Uh, yeah. What a world. Award shows used to be interesting, guys. Things used to happen at them. Oh, I've one more clip if you want to hear it. Always. I was going to get it into the the magazine thing. Um, okay, <laughs> this is the best comeback at a music show um, award show. This is the Enemy Awards. You probably know what's going to happen. Adam, can you play the clip? Russell Brand. What? A- um. Thank you, uh, Bono. Whatever. Um, mostly thank you to the people here in this room who did Live Aid, Kanye, uh, Razor Light, the Kaiser Chiefs, anyone else who's here, the Sugar Babes who did Band Aid 20. I would also like people watching on television and in this room to understand what happened on that day, as Bono said, when they cashed that check. It's boring, but if you'll give me two seconds. amazing man to whom we have a lot to be grateful, not him calling me a of course. Um, really it's no surprise that he's such an expert on famine. He has after all been dining out on I Don't Like Mondays for 30 years. Okay. Written by Matt Morgan, who you mentioned last week. All right. <laughs> who I think did all Russell Brand's best stuff. Um, yeah, written on the spot. But yeah, it's worth seeing the clip because Geldof's face as he sat back in the audience looking at that and he just goes, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's so tremendous. But actually my favourite bit of that is the, thanks Bono, whatever. <laughs> it's just, he's, why is he so strange? You know? I know, I know. He does a nice thing, you know, saves the world, but also calls people a C-word. Yeah, well, that, but that's what award shows with, with with musicians should be. They should be fucking... 
chaos, you know, like you're here. That's what I want, a return to chaos. Um, but thankfully, I know it's a long episode, but I think mostly we've been steered right and we've been kept safe in the warm, loving hands of Sonic Architect Adam, uh, you know, a man who recently Ooh. attended an award show, of course, Choice Prize. So, you know, and the next award show he goes to, just give him all the awards. That's what I say. I want 100%. like a, you know, you know, you know, like post Grammys, there's always whoever wins the most. There's always the photo of them holding all their all their baubles. And it's like, oh, yeah, the going to yeah, fall. Yeah. I want Adam in that position. That's what I want to see. Uh, so hopefully someday. A lovely thought. Yes. And you, listener, the greatest prize of all for us, of course, uh, is, you know, your, your, your loving attention, your ears, the things you have to say about us to your friends, I presume. Let them know. Let them know about the MTV Awards in 1999. Let them know about No Encore and this fine, fine podcast, Craig. I'm just rambling now. It's patreon.com slash no encore if you want more rambling. There's uh, bonus episodes up there and there'll be another one soon. And of course, it will help us keep the lights on, keep the audio sounding good, all that kind of jazz. Uh, Craig, anyone to say before we wrap up? Um, no Encore is for the children. Um, love each other. Yeah, I can't top that. So bye bye. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.